Okay, welcome to episode 55 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Flicky. Uh, with me today, feeling a little under the weather, is uh, the one and only Seth Singleton. Thank Seth you, Singleton. thank you. <laughs> I'll try and keep the sniffling to a minimum, but you can probably hear that sort of nasally wah-wah-wah sound in my Charlie Brown voice right now, and I, I'm enjoying that for you and for me both. Okay, so you know the drill. Uh, we talk everything DC, movie, TV, streaming, and of course comics and any other news that might pop up. So we can jump right into uh, the movie news uh, with something that came as probably not too much of a shock to anybody who pays attention. Uh, Joker uh, led the Oscar nominations with uh, 11. And real quick, I'll read what those 11 awards it was nominated for are uh, was costume design sound mixing sound editing original score film editing cinematography makeup and hairstyling adapted screenplay leading actor directing and of course uh best picture uh seth what do you think about this well i thought it was a you know as you said not a big surprise uh, i was clearly you know intrigued by how many nominations it would eventually get based on the response we've had from SAG, uh, from Golden Globes, from basically all the other Critics' Choice, all these other award shows that kind of lead up to, I don't know, it's almost like it feels like a point system sometimes. It's like if you can get so many scores in the ones leading up to the Oscars, the odds are the Oscars are going to be in your favor. The odds (laughs) shall forever be in your favor kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm really impressed with some of the stuff that we've talked about, whether it's uh, sound mixing or sound editing, because I know that there were some really authentic moments in that movie where you just felt to yourself like like they hit the perfect chord and that all of those notes came together in one really succinct moment. And also when it comes to a couple of these other uh, choices that it's received, I mean, the leading actor so far, Joaquin has just been walking away with statue after statue. And aside from one sort of uh, interesting acceptance speech to the more recent one in which he gave a lot of credence to Heath Ledger, saying that was his favorite actor, which I thought was a really sweet moment. I'm looking forward to just really great moments for this movie and the opportunity for it to continue to get the recognition that we've all been clamoring for. What was your take, my friend? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised that it was nominated, but I was kind of surprised that it led the nominations. That was that's very impressive. And I've, and I've talked at length on this podcast about what I think of the score. So I, uh, I'm very happy that it got nominated for the score. And I hope, if nothing else, it runs away with that award. And I think that it will it will get some of these other awards that it's nominated for. Now, what will be really interesting to see what happens with Joaquin and um and the best picture and i always find it kind of funny just a little slight bone to pick is the fact that how does it really count as an adapted screenplay because it wasn't really adapted from any comic so technically it's an original screenplay i mean i guess because it was a character that was already established in another medium or whatever but i think it should have been nominated for original screenplay but you know that's a that's a small that's a small quibble, but uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing just how many awards it walks away with. Indeed, but I think it's an yeah. interesting point that you brought up because, you know, uh, luckily with DC Comics News, we like to keep the lines of communication open. And um, one of the things you can really count on 
is that when topics like this come up, everybody's got an opinion. And I've heard some really great ones from some of the guys about what they take on this. And there were a lot of interesting perspectives, both for and against it, stating that, you know, in some ways it's based on material that's already been created and pulled from different stories. But I do see the argument for the original, because this is a Joker unlike any other we've ever seen before. And while it's set in a universe that we're familiar with, and it deals with characters that we've seen portrayed on screen in other ways, it, it did feel so unique into itself that it, it's it gets into that whole thing about canon and other things like that. But overall, I, I felt it could have had a valid argument to be in both categories. I don't know if you can pull that off of the Oscars and how much they're going to slap you around for just trying to get one extra award, but... I can see the argument both ways, and I'm intrigued why it ended up falling into the adaptive. Yeah, I'm sure they have some kind of rules that they follow about that, but you know, I just it's just an interesting thing how they determine. It seems sometimes very arbitrary, I guess. I agree. I almost feel like it's this thing where it's like, well, we can't fit it in this one because there's other great ones already in the original, so we can offer it to adaptive. And if adaptive had been full, maybe it would have gotten bumped to original. Yeah, that could be. You know, you know, it almost feels like sometimes the Oscar makes it work. It's like a spirit of the law and the rule of the law and how you interpret it. And in certain situations, based on a legal argument, it can go one way or the other. And, you know, it almost feels sometimes like there's some other little, you know, little factor going on where you think to yourself, how does this work? OK, I guess it works for somebody. But, you know, there's some explaining we would like just a little bit. Yeah, that's probably something that we could talk all night about. But. Uh just so we don't get caught up talking about that. Right? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, the next story looks like Birds of Prey is headed for a estimated $52 million opening uh, weekend. What do you think about this? A little surprised it's not bigger, personally. Um, <laughs> I've been really intrigued by every preview I've seen. I think this movie could be amazing. I really like the idea of the emancipation of Harley. We have an opportunity to see this character become more than just Joker sidekick love interest and spurned relationship. And with that in mind, I'm, I'm intrigued that it's got such a low number right now. I think it's going to change. And I think we might be surprised with the final number, but uh, what was your take? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it does better than that. Um, Although I think they would be happy with that, but I think that, yeah, I think there's enough buzz around it that, it could just do better. And really, I'm going to be more curious about what happens in the weekends following it to see what kind of word of mouth it has once people do get to see it. I think that's kind of a more telling thing on how well fans like it to see just how many times people are going back or if they're spreading the worst or the friends that, oh, you got to see this movie. So I'm also curious what the following weeks are going to bring. Um you know, I, since we haven't seen it, we don't, you know, so it's it's kind of all speculation. But uh, from what I know now, I would be surprised if it does if it does better than the 52 million. So I, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I like your point about repeat numbers, too. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind that we're going to be really interested in following up on as the information comes our way. Yeah. And next story here, we have that um, the Batman has been shooting some locations in glasgow uh what was your take on this actually this whole story was really amazing to me because from what it seems like 
not only do we have these giant warehouse things that they're filming, like the cathedral scene reportedly in, but also the fact that leading up to this Glasgow shoot, Glasgow, I'm not sure. You know I can't pronounce things, folks. Well, just get used to me not pronouncing things well. I, I'm the guy. I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here. I'm just going to accept that this is a weakness. I used to call Greenwich Greenwich because I'd only ever read it in books. Uh, I didn't know it as a word. And I was like, what? Greenwich meantime. What's the problem here? And people would look at me like, you must be so illiterate, ignorant. And for me, certain things, when I look at them, I'm just thinking to myself, I know what it's supposed to be. And I know how it sounds in my head when I read it this way. And I just like certain things. (laughs) Um, When it comes to Glasgow, what I was really intrigued by is that there were these moments where suddenly it was really quiet. And then suddenly the crew has popped up right after New Year's on the streets of London and then disappears again. Um, So I'm intrigued also by the, the topic that was brought up in the story, the idea of you know, maybe we'll get to see some Batmobile in action or something like that. And a great setting. Um, I, I'm really interested. What, what was your take? Yeah, I think one thing that popped out to me about the story is the fact that they were talking about one of the reasons why they chose that location is because of the Gothic architecture, which is going to be kind of interesting to how Gotham looks in in the film, which is always kind of one of the cool things about Batman stories is just seeing how they how they portray Gotham. So. I think that'll be kind of cool. I think that's a good reason to try to shoot there. Um, makes me kind of want to look up architecture in Glasgow to see exactly what it could be. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's just kind of fun too to watch this production come together. We've been covering it for so long now that it's that the more concrete information we get, it's just kind of fun to watch it all. All the pieces start to come together. Yeah, and I'm also intrigued to hear what our good friend Mr. Steve would have said about this. You know, if that yeah, was something we'll he mentioned to him. Yeah, and with that, a little omission to admission, um, you know, part of my being sick messed up our regular scheduling. So it's been really hard for Steve and Kelly to join us on this episode. But I'm intrigued to hear both their thoughts when we get them back on. Uh, you know, sometimes the sicky just sort of, you know, puts a stick in everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, and moving on to the TV and uh, streaming news, we got word that there's going to be a Aquaman animated series, uh, possibly an animated limited series with about three episodes, kind of as a teaser for Aquaman 2. What do you think about this? I really want to see this. I'm interested because it's going to be one of those first offerings that we'll get to have from HBO's uh, new Mac service featuring DC content explicitly for the streaming service. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Up until now, we've seen things that have already aired. Oh, sorry. Watchmen was an original. See, this is where I, I don't like being sick because my brain does things I ask it not to. And it also <laughs> forgets things I, I wish I remember. But it would be the first original animated, I think, from HBO featuring DC content and it would probably be the first for HBO Max. So, Hey, you can, you can go ahead and stick me one way or the other. I'm interested though, uh, that it's a uh, three episode miniseries. I love the title King of Atlantis. I feel like that was something they really established in the first movie. So I'd love to see a little follow up, maybe, you know, with this idea about learning his first day on the job and what it means and, and also getting a chance to see Volko and Miro in uh, Mira in a uh, animated setting and, and just where we can see this series go. What, what's your take, my friend? Yeah, it makes me think that the second movie is going to start uh, at a very different kind of 
position for the characters than the first one did. I mean, obviously it would, but I think there's going to be a, a certain gap that's going to need to be filled in. And I think this animated series is going to do a good job of that. Um, and I kind of hope that it's there at launch when HBO does go live, because I don't think that there's been any reports about exactly what's going to be offered when it does launch. So that'd be nice if this was included in that for sure. Yeah, that would be a great uh, startup for us, man. That would be a really fun one. Um, yeah. So speaking of the uh, HBO Max series, we also got some details on the Green Lantern series that's going to be coming uh, to the streaming service. What was your take on this? Well, I think it's really exciting. I mean, you know, for starters, now we're talking about original content that's live action. Um I really like the idea behind the fact that we've got Greg Berlanti involved, which sounds like a really smart move. He's been very successful on network television, and I think the freedom that HBO Max might provide would be really intriguing. Um, the idea of it spanning several decades and two stories about Green Lanterns on Earth, that could really open up uh, some great character story development and an introduction for a lot of people who might not have, you know, had the chance to either see Green Lantern movie that came out a few years back or want a fresh take because that one didn't sit right with them. Sinestro um, popping up is just, man, that's that's key because so much about that character is about first being such an exemplary lantern and then becoming the antithesis. And I, I love this idea of seeing that story develop how much of it we'll get to learn about because man, even in the more recent year, the villain was Sinestro. We've seen some amazing stuff so far. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what else we can learn about him, about the lanterns we're going to get. I love the possibility that there's still some, you know, who could the lanterns be? John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, Hal Jordan, um, you know, Guy Gardner who on television, I mean, recently I saw him in an anime and I laughed my, I laughed my butt off. I thought it was hilarious. So I like the concept of, of seeing these lanterns that I've loved in comics coming to life on HBO Max. How about you, my friend? Yeah, I love the idea that it takes place over decades. So there are so many different green lanterns that you could bring into it, uh, you know, which is opens up so many avenues for cool storytelling, which I, I, I really like that. And, of course, I don't think you'd have a really good uh, – green lantern story without sinestro and i think that was maybe one of the things missing in the uh the first green lantern movie was just that there was no real sinestro as a villain so i'm that's fun to watch that'll be fun to watch as well agree agree that's a good point that that among other things was probably one of the key reasons yeah <laughs> good point yeah and moving on, now we have passed the crisis on Infinite Earths with the Arrowverse. Now we finally getting to see some trailers about what's going to happen in these shows in a post-crisis world. Uh, what was your take on this? I'm going to be honest, that was like such an influx of information. I'm doing my best to process it. But after I watched D1, I was like, wow, that's a lot. Wait, there's another one? Okay, I'm going to watch this trailer. Okay. And then I looked, there must have been like five on there. It was, it was amazing how many trailers they had stacked in one article. 
each one of them looks so much fun, really exciting. Um, I like the concepts that they're bringing up about where these characters are. I mean, basically, Arrow's got two episodes left, but we're looking at what the future looks like with Oliver's daughter from the future and what she can do with some other characters who feel like they need to take on a mantle, play a more active role, follow in the footsteps of Oliver. Uh, Also, I like the direction with Flash. He no longer has the crisis hanging over his head. But that doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. And there was a sniper who had the coolest goggles, glasses (laughs) I've ever seen, which was righteous. Um, Black Lightning, man, I I swear, when, when it comes down to the tension that comes out in that story, I mean, a husband and wife at odds because they're under military law, martial law, and what it's done to not only the relationship between husband and wife, but between them and their daughters and between the daughters as sisters. Boy, and then you just add in a villain who won't go away. I mean, Tobias Whale, man, that guy. <laughs> he's like he's like the cockroach with orange hair, man. He just won't die. He simply will not die. And then the man behind it, the the director guy who's just pulling the strings, he's just yeah, we've got some really great stuff going on here. And these trailers led into so much fun I could go more and more about Supergirl and, you know, the good guy Lex Luthor. But, Brad, what was your take? Yeah, there's so much so much to take in with these. Um, you know, the the Black Lightning thing is interesting. You brought up Tobias Whale because I don't think there's ever been a villain that's lasted that long in a superhero-based TV show. He just won't go away. And I guess that's a credit to to the character that they just, like, fans want him. They just keep bringing him back. Um, and there is such a great family dynamic in that show, and that's kind of the heart and soul. And it's it, it's interesting how they can find ways to test that and still make it feel fresh. Uh, and yeah, Flash is now kind of wide open now that the the crisis isn't hanging over his head. That's that frees up so much in that show. So I'm curious where that goes. And with only two episodes left in arrow who knows what's going to happen you know so definitely some stuff to look forward to and i really like john cryer's lex luther um i'm glad he's sticking around to you know to cause problems so yeah i think that the rest of these the rest of the season for these shows is going to be uh pretty good yeah, another moment when I wish I could have our friend Mr. Steve on. I know he's a huge fan of John Cryer's work, and he's really been loving everything about the way his Lex Luthor has brought to life so many great qualities on screen. Steve, you're going to have to uh, listen in and then either start, you know, making shout outs on Twitter or we got to, you know, follow up on some of these with you next week. Um, but yes, John Cryer has really impressed me. His ability to slip into Luther like it was a second skin makes me wonder to myself like hey uh what what, what kind of human being are you overall because sometimes people who play villains are the nicest people in the world and other times they're just letting them true self out <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's kind of fun to watch him play a villain and he was really my favorite character in, in the crisis as it unfolded so uh, it's I kind of like it when the reason to tune in is the villain. And I like it when actors have fun with it. And it seems like he really is. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and also continuing on with Arrowverse news, <coughs> uh, 
we uh, learned today that the CW is ordering uh, Superman and Lois to series. So what is your take on that? Really smart move. I was really impressed with Tyler, whose last name I will now butcher. I think it's Hawkland. Uh, <laughs> and later with, uh, you know, even with Elizabeth Tulloch as well, whose name I hope I didn't ruin too bad. Uh, I, I'm i going to be honest, I have such uh, a connection now with him because I was recently, about six months ago, I encouraged my wife to watch Road to Perdition, which I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you saw with Tom Hanks. Yeah. You probably did, yeah. And I was amazed watching that. What a powerful young actor he was in that film. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued now that I get to see him play Superman. And I think he brings a lot of heart and life. And I've really been impressed with how quickly in such a short amount of time they've been able to establish the chemistry between he and Lois on screen. I think this could be a new dynamic that could take from some of the best that we loved about that great 90s show, Lois and Clark. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that if they didn't have chemistry and they didn't embody the characters so well, they wouldn't have gotten a series. Uh, I, I think in terms of throwing them in Supergirl, it was almost they had to deal with Superman in a way because with her origin story, it's hard to have a Supergirl series without in some way Superman. And if they didn't find a good Superman, you know, I don't think he would have had you know, people wouldn't have needed it around, you know, because they're so good. It it makes sense to have it in the series. Fans want it. So there it is. And I think that there's certain chemistry that harkens back to the um, Christopher Reeves, Margot Kinder days that I think fans really respond to as well. You know, thank you for bringing that up, because that's one thing that I really take away every time Lois appears is that I think to myself, my goodness, she reminds me so much of Margot Kidder in so many interesting ways. I mean, at first I thought it was just like the eyes, cheekbones and nose. And then the more I it was her mannerisms, I thought to myself, wow, what a great homage. What a great way to bring it back to our first understanding of Lois as we saw her on screen of any kind. Um, so great point. Thanks for bringing that up. Matt. Mm-hmm. And moving on to Titans news, it uh, looks like Barbara Gordon will be included in season three as Oracle. Uh, what do you think about this? I'm really intrigued by this move. I mean, we're going to be talking more about Titans as we move into some of our other stories today. But this is a really impressive decision because how they choose to not only tell her story on Titans, but take advantage of the ways that Titans has taken its own direction in regards to what kind of story it's telling. Um, the the situation, I feel like I'm past the point where I don't have to worry about spoilers for season two. And uh, do you agree with me, my friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so the death of Aqualad was huge. That was, a, that was an amazing moment that I thought to myself, I'm trying to remember where in comics that happened. Um, and maybe there's a storyline that I'm not recalling, but that felt like such a change in direction and... Everything else that's occurred with the characters has also felt like it has been a very original story. While these characters are classic and ones that we've come to understand through their many versions, this doesn't feel like uh, adapted material (laughs) to go back to our earlier discussion. And so for that, I think we have like a real opportunity to show some of the uh, most powerful things 
that make Oracle such a, a character that we love, cheer for, and that I think some people were kind of missing from the upcoming Birds of Prey movie. What about you, my friend? Yeah, I think that having her as Oracle already in the wheelchair is a very interesting approach. And I hope that they can take advantage of showing flashbacks to kind of how she got there um, in a way that could possibly reference Killing Joke, obviously. So maybe there's a way to possibly bring a Joker type character into it. So uh, I I feel like if they're going to do it, they have to explore that a little bit. And that's what I would hope they would do in season three with the character. But I, uh, you know, I, from what I can recall, we haven't really seen Barbara Gordon live action in the Oracle capacity since the birds of prey days, like the original series. So, um, yeah. And I, and I just love how Titans are bringing all these characters into it, which brings me to the next story, which is the fact that they're also going to include Roy Harper in season three, also known as Arsenal. And what do you think about this? Huge move, really smart decision. And something I was going to add on about the Barbara Gordon story, it also takes place with a different time sense. Her father has passed and she's now commissioner. That's a really interesting twist as well. So I'm intrigued with that understanding to also go, well, tell me about this Roy Harper. Who's going to be cast to play him? And also... um, what does it mean for Roy to join the team? Because we've heard him referenced by Donna, but Roy's had an interesting history. And if we delve into some of his darker stories, whether it's addiction or what recovery has been like, which hasn't been easy to say the least, we could have some really interesting stories come out of this or just begin hinting at it, knowing that if Titans continues to be as successful and smart as it has been, we could really have a great flashback series of events that helps us better understand who Roy is in this Titans universe and also touch on some of the things that either were powerful, controversial, or just sort of foundational when it comes to the character, especially for comic book fans. What did you think? Yeah, I like that you brought up the kind of dark past addiction and things like that, because certainly Titans hasn't shied away from going dark. and I, I would have a feeling that that would be something that they would definitely, ex, ex, you know, explore. And it would make the character, you know, more complicated. Uh, so I think that that's something that they would definitely do. And I think that he's an important character to include into the whole Titans mythos. So, yeah, I'm happy to have him aboard. And it just goes to show just how many different characters you could bring into the series. It's almost limitless what they can do and it's kind of fun to watch them play in this big kind of toy box where they can bring all these characters in and you know just mess around with them so it's 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 definitely a fun series well yeah with that note man now i want to see bumblebee like what's happening right you know like uh come on and also interesting thing i was thinking of while you were mentioning roy uh and, and talking about you know how we're both intrigued by this darker history something that i just realized is that in this storyline Uh, You know, Dick only recently gave up his Robin mantle, went through his journey and then discovered himself now as Nightwing. Roy used to be the uh, Red Arrow, the sidekick to Green Arrow. And part of his recovery process was leaving that identity behind to become Arsenal, which is how he's cast in this uh, version of Titans. 
or how this version of his character is cast in Titans. So I'm intrigued how he can provide some insights to Dick about the difference in taking on that new mantle and what it means to shape a new destiny, knowing you don't have to base it on your past or that if you do, you can bring your best parts with it. And what the challenge is to not bring the darker elements as he's experienced as well, because, you know, they could have made a choice to have him as Red Arrow and go through, but he's already gone through that transition to a new identity. And that could be a really interesting thing. And it wasn't until you were talking that I was like, oh, Arsenal, that's right. Wait, but he used to be Red Arrow. That's a story we could really touch on as well, because it feels like that identity had a dark ending and he was able to rebirth, kind of pull a phoenix and much like Dick transition into a new one that reflects, you know, his new direction or uh, other elements that he wishes to embrace. So I'm really intrigued by this, too, because one thing I remember about Arsenal when he first showed up. He had this crazy set of weapons, which was so different from Red Arrow. And seeing some of those on screen now is such an interesting idea mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of different potential for some cool flashbacks, for sure. Indeed. And on some sadder news, at least for Watchmen fans, Damon Lindoff has said he is not doing more Watchmen. What was your take on this? I have the utmost respect for Damon Lindelof for saying this. I felt that I really took a lot from that previous interview we discussed. And it was a story talking about how he was being completely honest with HBO, with the interviewer. He said, if you ask me honestly, I'm going to tell you. I unpacked my brain and everything that was physically, physically possible to pull off in Watchmen. I did it. If you're asking me to do another one, I would say... Okay, but first I have to I have to come up with that idea. I have to see that way in and then know that that's my way to come back. But I couldn't just do it and say, yeah, I've got all this stuff I was holding back in reserve in hopes for second two. I put it all out there, man. So I have a, a real sort of genuine, thoughtful respect for him for saying, I'm not going to come back to this just for the money, just to, you know, or for some other reason that's not authentic, which was my original reason, because he had a story he knew he could tell and when he could bring all the pieces he wanted to. And I know that on this podcast, we talked about so many other characters that we could have seen and what that story would have been like. But I also know that we are all writers on this conversation. And man, if there's one thing in the world that's hard, it's trying to find your way into a story that you're, you're trying to tell without having it you know, be something that's coming organically from your thought process. And, and I think knowing that he wouldn't be authentic and genuine in telling a season two, it, it's a really difficult admission. But it's also one that's saying, as you guys pointed out, he learned some lessons from Lost. And through that, he's he's developed an understanding that says you don't just do what people ask of you you don't just do something because it's available or there you do it when it's right you do it for the right reasons and when you do you're rewarded for it what about you uh, I, uh, i'm torn because i i agree with you uh that it, it's i have total respect that he does not want to do another season if he has no truly great ideas because that just proves how much respect and love he has for the source material that he respects it enough not to continue just for the sake of continuing. I wish he would. Um, I, and I, and I have a feeling that, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, this is not the end of the story. 
Watchmen was a show that ended up being on a lot of top 10 lists for critics and fans at the end of the year. Uh, it had people talking. Uh, people weren't expecting it to be what it was. And it just kind of blew everybody away. And it was a huge success for HBO. And I don't think HBO is going to want to give that up that soon. I think that if they can somehow get uh, either another creative team or have uh, an idea enough that Damon wants to come back as kind of like a executive producer and kind of oversee things that they would still do it. So I think if HBO found a way to continue it, they would and they still might. But if they don't, then we still have this one season this one great continuation of a story that nobody thought could be continued upon. So I think that in a way, no matter what happens, we still have this amazing season of Watchmen. Not only that, but he gave a blessing, right? Like he said, if somebody else has an amazing right. thing to tell, yeah. I have no problem with somebody else picking up what I did, as long as they keep in mind that genuine respect for the source material. And so seeing him say, yeah, well, giving that, you know, statement, I think he would also be open to executive producer, executive consultant, taking on a role where he can come in and say, hey, you're looking for a little feedback. Let me tell you what I know about the source material and how I think it does or doesn't apply to what you're doing. And that could be the best sounding board in the world and also provide a template for others to work with about, hey, this is what you need to keep in mind when you're telling a Watchmen story. And these are the main ideas that haven't been addressed yet in Watchmen or things to keep in mind when you're trying to do something as well as uh, tenuous as this kind of undertaking can be. And really the thing with HBO is that it's not that stretch to wait a long time between seasons for HBO shows. Uh, if you remember <laughs> The Sopranos, it took an hour and a, you know, a year and a half. Uh, Game of Thrones, it took a long time before we got the final season. So with HBO, people kind of accept that in a way. So they can take their time and develop it if they really wanted to. So they, you know, they, I, I still think that we're going to hear more about what's coming next with HBO and The Watchmen. I don't think it's I don't think we've heard the end of it. You know, that's a really great point. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. HBO fans have come to understand that it could be a follow-up season, but it doesn't have to be the following year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And stepping back into the CW Arrowverse world for a moment, uh, we learned that uh, The Legends of Tomorrow has cast its next big bad. What was your take on this? Man, I'm really intrigued by this story. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with the idea of a ruthless killing machine with daggers made of bones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And wherever she goes, death follows. As it points out in this article, the, the villain hasn't been named. And sadly, my brain is even more tragic than it should be right now. So my ability to think of any sort of character, rogues, villain list and come up with someone... I feel like there's a name or two on the tip of my tongue, but I just haven't been able to summon it into real words, let alone a name. Um, and I'm intrigued because this character is very new to me. 
um, not just character, I'm sorry, this actor. Uh, I'm aware that there was uh, previous roles on Warrior and on the BBC's The Paradise, but I haven't actually seen those yet. Um, so my take is more interested in the character and curious about this casting. But I've been so impressed with everything uh, Legends of Tomorrow has done so far. And as long as we get more Bebo, I'm happy. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> said exactly what I was going to say, because I was kind of hoping that you could maybe put a blank on it. Like, is it a, maybe maybe next week uh, if we get Steve on and Kelly, maybe they know a character that it could be. But I, I, I'm curious, too. And I, I feel the same way about the actress. I'm not familiar with uh, any of her work, so it's kind of all new, uh, all new territory. But, it, you know, you're right. It sounds like an intriguing character. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what we're in for. I think you've this. raised an interesting challenge, my friend. Can yeah. we <laughs> come up with the identity by next podcast? And Maybe some listeners know. I don't know. There you go. If you're listening out there, man, do you know? Come on, like, you know, maybe your, you know, uh, Geekopedia is bigger than ours. Maybe your, you know, vast understanding is greater than ours. Maybe you're listening right now and going, you suckers, I know everything. Well, let us in, man, because we only we only do as good as the information we got. And as I said, my brain's already just pathetically tragic. Brad's trying. We're all going to come back to you guys next time. But in the meantime, let us know what you're thinking. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> and our uh, final TV streaming news is that we've learned that HBO Max and DC Universe, the relationship between those streaming services is still being worked out. Uh, so, Seth, what do you think about this? No big surprise here. I would like it if they had already said, like, yeah, we've got it all figured out. We're going to have a big drop date and all the cool stuff's going to be coming your way. But um, the fact that they haven't worked it all out yet means that hopefully they're taking a lot of time and putting a lot of thought into it. I'm hoping they're not just like, all right, let's go play another round of golf and see if we can figure this out. Because if they're taking their time, they're considering these options, it seems like there's a few if they can just iron out the details. I mean, right now you've got a core group of people that are, well – fervently i would say supporting dc universe and its original content that's a pool that you would be wise to recognize and consider grandfathering in a price where if you have a subscription to dc universe to add on hbo max would be a small stretch maybe like two or 3.99 added on to your subscription by month because you had already invested in dc universe or if they did a combined package where you you know if you're a new subscriber you can buy both for a certain price or how that would end up being necessary. I think as a DC Universe fan, I'm going to keep that because I want that material. I want all of those comic books and other original content that I love as well as older content. And I think that HBO Max is going to be limited on how much of that it can offer. So I think if they can find that combination that makes everybody feel like they're being recognized as, as someone who wants to support and just doesn't want to be built for extra money, then they're going to be on the right track. But, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by the idea that they're already talking about how certain shows will be streaming on both platforms, whether it's the second season of Doom Patrol or other content and how that can build a bridge and create a, a really positive connection between these two. How about you? I, I come at this as a fan and I know that no matter what, 
I will get a subscription to both. Now, going in, <laughs> yeah. and I think, and I think maybe you know, all of us on the podcast, and probably a lot of people who listen to it, feel the same way. Um, my my what my concern though is the fact that right now I think the price point for HBO Max is like fifteen dollars a month, and that's pretty expensive when it comes to a streaming service. So they really have to make that worth it and i hope they can really find a way to do that and integrate both and because i'm a fan i'm not i'm not looking at it through a business perspective and i'm sure there is so much that we're not even considering when it comes to that because they have to figure out a way how to make it profitable for them but also giving service to the customers and the fans out there who do want this content and what is the way that makes most makes the most sense from a business perspective as well as pleasing customers so i'm sure that's not an easy thing so it's certainly not a surprise that they're still ironing everything out um but man i just i just hope that they can find that healthy medium months down the road even after hbo max launches where they don't have to pull the plug on dc universe um so yeah yeah. I'm intrigued because also HBO was kind of the first, you know, I, I think they were the original cable service from way back in mid seventies and they have somehow managed to still be extremely relevant even now, even as the times have constantly been just, you're looking around going, this is television now. And they figured out how to see that long-term goal and how to get there. And they stumbled in sometimes. There was a couple of years, maybe even five or more, where they were maybe less relevant. But what they've been able to unlock recently has been really successful formulas. So I think if they put that collaborative interest in mind and then keep all the elements you were just describing as part of their equation, I think we're looking at a recipe for success. I think that was a lot of metaphors, too. all right and with that we're going to take a quick break to um pay some bills and then we'll be right back with some comic book news so stick around and we'll be right back this is seth singleton from dc comics news here to tell you about the spinner rack each and every week dc comics publishes so many great books it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night a story about the stories a show celebrating batman the animated series week by week episode by episode 
just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Welcome back, everyone, to DC Comics News Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Flicky. With me is Seth Singleton. Hey there. We talk movies and TV and streaming. Now we're moving on to the reason why we're all here and love all this stuff anyway. It is comic book news. Uh, first up is we got word that DC is announcing a Joker and Catwoman 80th anniversary specials. Seth, what was your take on this? I'm going to need to get a second job. I'm <laughs> I'm going to need to sell some blood, some hair. Uh, if there's something about me that you know has uh, dollar value that I can sell and you're willing to tag me and let me know on Twitter or any other social media, please. Because at some point, my wife will, will do something drastic. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I'm not going to blame her, whatever it is. But at some point, um, yeah, this is going to get painful. But at the same time, I, I'm really sort of enjoying the way that there's this embrace of providing, I mean, let's be honest, there's a great value involved with a lot of these uh, anniversary special books. Sometimes you can pay three, four, five ninety nine for a 25, 30 page story. But for the nine ninety nine price, you're guaranteed 100 pages. And it's going to be so many different creators participating. And that just leads to a lot of fun for the kind of Joker and Catwoman stories that you can get. Not only that, but we've got such an amazing collaboration going on where you've got all these wonderful artists and writers that we've seen before that we've come to know and love. And who, by doing this, are are showing us that these are characters that they still have stories to tell us. And because of that, we're going to get the chance to see some wonderful combinations. I mean, the list of collaborators is huge. Uh, the stories for Catwoman sound really fun. Um, I'm really intrigued by the uh, art of picking a lock with Ed Brubaker and uh, Cameron Stewart. That's going to be a really cool one. Plus the exotic cat taxidermist who wants to add Catwoman <laughs> to the collection. I mean, I'm going to be really sort of creeped out when I see the collection that's existing and how they're posed or what sort of things this taxidermist has done. And then, man, like, it's kind of like a pick your favorite wonderful, delicious treat between all these different variant covers and all this original material that's going to be available in both books. Uh, so much fun to enjoy, so much content to absorb by really gifted, really sort of legendary writers and artists. Uh, what about you, my friend? Yeah, the teams are super impressive and the stories sound a lot of fun. And you know, you're absolutely right. This is, it, it seems like it's going to be a good value. It's going to be a lot of bang for your buck with these stories. Uh, and I can't wait to see what the variant covers are going to be like, I think. And if you go back to, to how successful Action Comics 1000 was and uh, Detective Comics 1000 was, there's definitely an audience for these types of specials. So I think that they're going to be uh, pretty popular as well. And I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, yeah, that, that that taxidermy story sounds pretty fun for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that kind of caught my eye too. Steve, yeah, so. we got to get your take on it too, my friend. You're listening. <laughs> we know you are. What's your thoughts on the taxidermy? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you know, we were just drooling over those beautiful covers that are going to be coming out any day now with the upcoming Wonder Woman 750. Yeah. I can only imagine what we're going to get for Joker, 
and uh, for the Catwoman ones. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. I can't wait to see what they're going to look like. Yeah, we're going to have some good chats when they release some sneak peeks of those, huh? And I just know that when uh, Wonder Woman 750 comes out, it's going to be one of those that I'm going to actually be reading it in line to go and purchase it. Uh, That's how I'm looking (laughs) forward to it. So, you know, on a side note. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And moving right along, we also got some more delay news in that Doom Patrol Way to the World's finale issue is postponed a month. What was your take on this? You know, at first, when I saw the headline and I just thought to myself, boy, this is just another one of those stories. I, I didn't know how much I could contribute because we've already just, I feel like, just stomped all over this thing as much as we can in frustration and confusion. But I was really interested by the fact that this time around, Dan Didio came out and said, you know, we recognize that there's been delays to some black label titles and we will not be soliciting anything until we are sure that this will come out as scheduled. I don't know if this is them taking the reins and finally getting a bit of control or what this might mean for the future. But it's the first time I've heard a statement regarding how this is affecting not only retailers, but comic book fans. I was interested that it seemed to only focus on the black label because I feel like this has been uh, endemic, epidemic right now. I I don't know which one is the best word in this situation. And because we haven't gotten a lot of insight, I don't know if it's easy for anyone to say exactly what's happening at DC, but this hasn't been limited to black label. So I'm intrigued by the fact that he made the statement. I was just a little bit, you know, kind of, side-eyed at him like okay black label only huh all right Mm -hmm. maybe we can confirm other solicitations just you know so everybody's feeling like they know what's going on and so that you're giving us that same kind of reassurance that we won't let you know something's coming out until we know it's going to meet the schedule or the deadline for that schedule what was your take on you know this one didn't bother me in a way because i don't know if you follow Gerard's Gerard Way at all, but his band, My Chemical Romance, just got back together, and it kind of broke the internet when they did. And I think that he's been he's been writing the series, but I think that with the band reunion and everything that came with that, it's probably kept him pretty busy. And I'm sure he's also being involved in the uh, second season of Umbrella Academy that's uh, under production right now. So. I understand that he is probably a lot busier than he expected to be. And I think My Chemical Romance is in the process of announcing another reunion show. So I think that really Gerard Way has just had a lot on his plate. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to forgive him and give him a little more time. It goes back to that thing, you know, I'm willing to wait if it, if it means the quality is going to be consistent. And I think that, that uh, him waiting just a little bit to finish it up is probably a good thing because of that. You know, that's important for you to bring up because um, sometimes I miss the things that break the Internet, whether I'm sick, whether I simply don't pay attention or it doesn't hit my radar. Uh, I'm realizing now that some time ago when My Chemical Romance first came out, I I didn't pay a lot of attention to them and I knew they were there. I I heard some of their songs, Um, but I think at one point I I saw a comparison to another band and I was like, okay, I, I just sort of like they no longer hit my radar. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I I actually have gained a lot of respect for his talent as a writer through his work on Doom Patrol 
and also yeah. with uh, Umbrella Academy. So yeah. knowing that information that you provided, I feel more informed and more understanding about what's going on. Um, so I'm, I'm really intrigued now to see how these developments will um, affect whether or not we get to see him do other work for DC or if he's simply just going to be too busy after the series ends. You know, it's, it was very fascinating to watch him become, you know, even last year at this time, because this was a route when the first season of Umbrella, uh, Umbrella Academy hit, he was seen as kind of this musician that's every once in a while wrote comics. That show hits, and all of a sudden now he is like nerd royalty that is also a singer. So it kind of his career almost flipped. So now that now he's going to have to switch gears to go to go back to being in the band. Um, but man, his writing has just been it's never been better. And uh, I, I'm kind of glad to see him earn that risk, you know, get that respect that he deserves as a writer for these series. Like, seriously, yes, how many other comic book people can you call a comic book rock star and literally yeah. mean it? Yeah. Um, aside from maybe those who have put together a small band and do some shows here or there, you know, this guy was a rock star before he was a comic book writer. And now he's a rock star comic book writer. I mean, yeah. they you don't get to use the word literally too effectively anymore since now Webster's taken right. it out of like having any actual meaning because <laughs> the word literally doesn't literally mean literally anything. But this guy is the true definition of rock star comic book writer. And, you know, that's an impressive mark. So we're going to go ahead and probably give him a little extra leeway and acknowledge that, as you said, man, his writing has been nothing but phenomenal. I was actually intrigued when uh, the first issue came out and one of our reviewers was like, man, you guys need to check out what the what the content of this new Doom Patrol is like. Layers upon layers of meaning and his sort of passion for it really impressed me. Um, and that, you know, I've loved what I saw of Umbrella Academy and I'm really intrigued to see just what else that can provide for us. So uh, you're right, you know, his writing has really impressed me and everything else he's doing I got to give him credit for it's going to be hard to knock him if there's a delay here and there, right? Yep. This is one that I can forgive. <laughs> <laughs> and the next story is kind of a bummer is that the dreaming is coming to a surprised end in April. What was your take on this? Man, I'm going to be honest. Um, this is one of those ones that feels really frustrating and confusing. I mean, it's like, okay, thanks, Didio, for coming out and making a big statement about the Black Label stuff. How about a statement about this? Because we would love more insight than knowing that you announce a new creative team back in October uh, to take over on number 19. And now 19 and 20 are going to have the original team because it's all coming to a close. I'm a little surprised. But I have also heard some comments from uh, one or two people that have, you know, been reading the book consistently, even uh, our current reviewer at DC Comics News, that there can be some degrees of inconsistency. I don't know what could be contributing to that. It could be affecting. I, I don't keep up on sales numbers and things like that. It's just some other piece of information that I can get bogged down with or uh, lose myself in. So what's bringing this all about? I'm not sure. It is disappointing because I do know that. There were a lot of elements about it that when I did read it or review it, I was really impressed by. So and when I review it, I mean, for like, you know, Spinner Rack or something like that, 
Um, I never actually reviewed this title for DC Comics News or, or anyone else, but um, it sounds like we do get at least maybe the uh, fate of Dream, which was a compelling part of the story as I was enjoying it. Um, what was your take, my friend? You know, I, I'm i kind of hopeful that they will relaunch with another issue number one with uh, Jay Willow Wilson and Nick Robles doing you know being the creative team because i think that i would love to see what she would do with the series for one thing um and maybe they can do kind of like what marvel's doing with star wars they ended their big block of story with issue 75 and then started over with another with another sorry another issue number one and maybe they can do that with this and just have it be like a time jump or something so it's like two separate stories so i'm kind of hoping that we haven't heard the last of the story either and that they will you know somehow announce a new issue one coming down the line maybe even if we have to wait until the summer or you know or the fall for it as it comes together but i'm hoping that we haven't heard the last of the dreaming maybe dc just has to get their marketing together to kind of boost the numbers for uh, you know the next number one you know the dreaming next series so so we'll see but i'm kind of hopeful that we haven't heard the last of it because i would like i said i'd really like to see what that creative team does with with the characters yeah if there's anyone who can sort of kickstart a new relaunch a new number one a writer like g willow wilson is someone that i have immense faith in so thanks for giving me that little ray of optimism my friend you're uh, you're the emblem of hope this week <laughs> yeah i can't help it i'm an optimist <laughs> i love it man i love it let's keep it coming <laughs> yeah uh and we also got in the last bit of comic book news here is uh that there is a new catwoman creative team that is going to debut in april and what was your take on this well i'm really intrigued um I, I think more than anything, I'm, I'm intrigued by the story that they're going to be working on, <laughs> mm-hmm. as clearly my voice is now showing its strain of the cold thing as I broke there. Um, the hot pink vans stationed around sexy maids and the conflict that will develop between these maids and Catwoman sounds like a really fun story. Um, I'm really intrigued overall by seeing their collaboration. Um you know, I know that they point out that uh, oh, Paula Sevenbergen. All right, that one wasn't too bad. I think I did <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> uh, you know, is coming over from the DC Universe's Stargirl series, and I'm intrigued by the sort of range of work between Mad Magazine and uh, the IDW's publishing uh, Femme Magnifique. So that's an interesting thing. But I think the other part that's kind of crazy and you know, you're probably going to agree with me on this and crazy in a good way, as in fun, exciting, is the fact that uh, we've got an artist who just completed back in 2017 uh, the uh, what is it? DC's artist workshop class and who's already done amazing work on, you know, House of Whispers, Bombshells, Gotham City Garage. So I like this idea of this new talent constantly being, you know, exposed to different characters and what we can see their range and where they can excel. And also I just love the idea of fresh blood constantly following the tradition, keeping it alive and making characters like Catwoman so much fun. What was your take? my friend? Yeah. Um, I, 
I'm not too familiar with Paula's work, but I, I dig that she comes from all these kind of very different places, like you were saying, you know, Mad Magazine and uh, Femme Magnifique. And I, I do like, uh, now I might butcher this pronunciation, uh, Anike's art as well in House of Whispers. So, uh, yeah, and the story sounds cool. So I think that, uh, you know, from what I can tell, the, the team will do a uh, a good job. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I just kind of wish I was more familiar with the writer's work. I'd have a stronger, uh, I guess, a stronger opinion about it. Um, but like I said, I'm an optimist, so I'm willing to give them a shot for sure. Yeah, and, and it just gives us a reason to dig through old issues of Mad Magazine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and switching gears from comic book news for one last story is we got a trailer of Joker gameplay in Mortal Kombat uh, 11. Uh, Seth, what do you think of the trailer? For starters, uh, it, it starts out fairly ominous with that uh, giant blade. <laughs> yeah. And that was a really cool concept. Um, I love that it starts off with who I believe is Killer Croc as the uh, the nemesis, and unless it's someone else and I'm just not sure. Um, I mean, the fighting looks bloody. It looks gory. You know what always amazed me about Joker was the fact that um, he seems so wiry that you think to yourself, okay, so like one or two whacks and this guy just goes down, right? And then you realize that all that wiry leads to something, well, you know, a different kind of strength. He doesn't have to be the big bulky. Um, there was some really silly stuff between the punching gloves um, and then when uh, they were showing against the Batman who laughs and he breaks out like the the Batman sort of toy doll with the gun loaded in the... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so there were some really cool elements. You know, it makes me almost wish that I had that extra 20 hours of my life a day that I could spend yeah. on games and yeah. and do all that. <laughs> um, what was your take, my friend? Yeah, I I do like all the little things that they brought in, like you were like the Batman doll. And did you notice the little the guy who was tied up who hops around and then blows up the, his like captive? Did you notice that? Oh, um, <laughs> which I thought was pretty crazy, but very <laughs> Mortal Kombat esque to include yeah. that. So it's just that's one of the fun things about Mortal Kombat is to see all their uh, weird special moves, and I really like that the trailer demonstrated a lot of those. You can kind of see what's in store for the character. Um, yeah, I mean it, does, it. It looks like you know Mortal Kombat fun for sure. Uh, and and very creative in what they use for his weapons, like you were saying, like the boxing glove and things like that. That was yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, actually, I'm going to be honest with you. I sort of forgot about the tied up guy for a second because the one that kills me, I mean, you know, kills apparently everybody, is the uh, the finishing move that they show against Killer Croc when he gives him the exploding cake. <laughs> yeah. And that one just sort of like took over my brain. It was like the knife at the beginning and the cake at the end. And those were the two things that I could hold together at one time in my head. But you're just going to make me go back and watch this trailer a couple more times. And I got a feeling other people will, too. And they're going to break out all sorts of other stuff that they're like, did you see? Did you notice? Because there's this detail. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And that wraps up another uh, week of news and another episode of the DC Comics News podcast. 
I've been your host, uh, Brad Flicky, and with me was Seth Singleton. Seth, why don't you tell people where they can find you? The place you can find me the most often is weekly here with the DC Comics News podcast team and recording uh, Spinner Rack, where you can catch me giving my top five from DC Comics each and every week. Uh, more often than not, you're going to find me hanging out with these great groups. And if you're ever looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, the number one and more singleton, or just type Seth Singleton and the word story into a search engine and then send me a message on whatever platform you land on. Okay. You can find me at FlickyB1 on Twitter. You can find me writing news and reviews with DC Comics News. And DC Comics News is now uh, on all major uh, podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please head over and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. And you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. And also be sure to check out the Spinner Rack, hosted by uh, Seth Singleton, and I of the Night, hosted by uh, Steve J. Ray, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. And as always, read more comics. comics. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. <laughs>